Today, it's a bit of a look-back episode to an interview I did in 2016 when the Fehadi Mosque here in Banyaluka was reopened after some 23 years. The Fehadiya Mosque in Banyaluka was originally commissioned by Fehad Pasha Sokolovich and built in 1579. It stood near the centre of Banyaluka until the night of the 6th to 7th of May 1993, some 27 years ago, when it was destroyed by explosion. The Fehadiya's location remained destroyed for all those years and some said that it would never be rebuilt, but rebuilt it was. There were a lot of people involved in the rebuilding, a lot of unsung heroes, and one of those unsung heroes is a Brit like me. His name is Donald Reeves, and he has an NGO called The Soul of Europe. Donald came back to Banyaluka to attend the opening back then in 2016, where I caught up with him in a hotel coffee bar in Banyaluka and wanting to find out more about how difficult it had been to get the mosque rebuilt and his thoughts on peace building and reconciliation here in the Western Balkans. But before I started talking to Donald, I really didn't know much about him apart from what I found on Twitter, which said he was a maverick priest, a writer, a broadcaster, a peace builder, generally a nuisance, a visionary with attitude and also a very dangerous man. So why was a very dangerous man having something to do with peace building? That wasn't, I don't describe myself like that. That was how Margaret Thatcher described me. Because when she came to power, the Labour Party had more or less finished. There was just a few people who were standing up to her. And I disapproved of the, the miners' strike and how that was handled. And when I was in Piccadilly, we used to, Sir James's Piccadilly, where I was a rector, we used to support the miners' wives. They'd come in and put their feet up when they were trying to raise money for their cause. And so I was very, I really found the whole way that was handled was awful. I was against the Falklands War. I thought this was, again, another example of jingoism at its worst. And I think I was a bit of a find for the media, this youngish vicar standing up against the government. And so when, so there were two really things, but the other thing that we did over my time in Piccadilly, we had a, a project called Dunamis, which was a, 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 a de- debates on security, international security, personal security, regional security. This was in the Cold War with China, Russia, and we had Americans. We had uh, regular lecture series, seminars, public events, and this was funded by a foundation for 15 years. So it became quite a critical mass of stuff. And I think that really Margaret Thatcher disliked what you might call grey foreign policy. She liked things in black and white. And I think all these things led her to describe me to Enoch Powell, an English uh, MP no longer alive, uh, on his way to a, a broadcast at uh, St. James's Piccadilly, and she said he's a very dangerous man. So that's why I was called it. Of course, I'm, I'm, now, um, I'm now what they call a peace builder, which sounds very soppy and uh, sloppy and soppy, sentimental, just getting around the table talking to people. But actually, that requires nerves of steel and being able to put up with a whole range of different things. And I've been on a learning curve. This is a second learning curve since I came to the Balkans 15 years ago. My colleague, Peter Peltz, and I set up the Soul of Europe. It's a small NGO. You're looking at at two-thirds of it now. But we were always very small. But in 19, when we set this thing up in 2000, I decided to come to the Balkans because that was the place no one was going to because that was the place where Milosevic was. To cut a very long story short, we went to Belgrade and then we came to Banyaluka via Bihatch where we tried to do some stuff which fizzled out. And because I'm a 
a religious leader, as it were, we naturally called on all the religious leaders wherever we go. That was my card. And no one knew who I was. I could be anybody. And so we called on the Catholic bishop here, who's a good friend and a good, a good man. I tell you, when a, bishop's, when a Catholic bishop is good, he's very good. And when he's bad, that's that. And we called on the Orthodox bishop, who we saw yesterday, who's an interesting fellow, and of course know him well. And then we called on the Mufti Chamdich at the, in his house by the mosque. And uh, he said, I could see when we came in the room, uh, not a foreigner, because he lots of ambassadors and UN people and posh people would go and uh, Mufti Chamdich would talk about the mosque and that he's the only Mufti in the world without a mosque and all this stuff. And all these very famous people would shake their heads and go away and they never see him again. So we said, okay, Mufti, we will help you rebuild the Fakadir. And since we uh, make a promise like that, I just determined we should do that. And so we did. But that's when all the fun began. Maybe, I'm not sure about that, we, our involvement was only for the six years, from about 2000 and 2006. That was a real, the whole thing, all our life was guaranteed, was given to getting this mosque up again. And, but we wanted to put it in the context of Banyaluka. And it, we saw that, I mean, I'm not interested in just building a mosque because I'm very interested in trying to rebuild communities. In this case, rebuilding the Fakhadir was a way of saying that, hi, hello guys, there are Muslims who have been here, they've left, maybe they'll come back again. And this is now a town in which there are three faiths which we can celebrate. And that was the idea behind building, rebuilding the Fakhadir. So we didn't, did try and raise some money, we failed. We, people thought that we were coming with a large check I went to see the Prince of Wales, and there's a message I shall read out tomorrow. I've got a message here on my phone from Prince Charles, and people said, oh, Prince Charles is going to pay for it. And then when nothing happened, people said, oh, he's gone off on holiday to Barbados with all the takings. I felt like saying I could choose a better place than Barbados, but there's a lot of rumours about that, and people didn't want to have an Ottoman mosque, they wanted to have a, a Wahhabi mosque, and so didn't really worry about the design, so there's a big big debate in which we stumbled about that and then of course in the, in, in, in the NGO world and Banya Luka they were very skeptical about what we were doing they said you should be building all the jargon building people's capacity that was some great stuff we talked about all the time lots of workshops on conflict resolution and all this stuff which these do-gooding NGOs who I don't have a lot of time for but they were very critical of us uh, they said you should not be building religious buildings of course build up people and then they said that the European Union and Brussels were not interested at all because we're not interested in religion which is a private matter this is what they said and then th conservation bodies like Europa Nostra they were not having to do that either because they were rebuilding something from the foundations up and they only do in conservation so everywhere you went, the doors were closed, which made me more determined that somehow or another, as long as we could, we will make sure that this, that this mosque eventually rises from the ground. So I think those six years really laid the foundations for the people. And I remember our last meeting of the committee, sort of committee, which we, I, I was the vice president of the appeal committee, and that's another story, but I, the atmosphere was very hopeful quite different to what it was when we came here. People really were again now determined to get this going. There were lots and lots of discussions and debates with like the Swedish Development Agency and various other people who had a lot of arguments about what sort of mosque it should be and so on. And we, Peter and I, went to Istanbul twice 
first time it was really good. Lots of people were there wanted to set up a foundation and all sorts of things and rebuild the mosque. When we went back a few months later, they hadn't done a thing. And I remember thinking, this is just, what am I doing here? And we, we went all over Europe to interfaith organizations. And basically the, the, the message was, let them build their own mosque. And anyhow, we don't want to have uh, programs of reconciliation coming out from Bosnia. So even these really enlightened interfaith organizations, whether in Sweden or Denmark or in France and Germany, the Vatican, all, I've been to all these places. So people say to me, how were you funded? The answer was Libya. We, a World Islamic Call Society, which was a NGO set up by Gaddafi, they funded us substantially for the first year or so because it was the time that they were trying to make friends with the West. And I remember <clears throat> seeing our ambassador in Tripoli whether I should accept anything from, from Gaddafi's organization. And he said, yes, take the money and run, he said. But that's what we did. And uh, thank God for the Libyans, that's all I can say. There now, so it could be mess, of course. So that's basically the, how we carried off. I think the international organizations are on the whole, as I said earlier, the rebuilding of religious buildings is not a major priority. They're concerned with building people, etc., etc. So I don't think the attitudes in that sense have changed very much. We've done some other work here. So Moscow, which is the killing camp there, we, we were commissioned to bring the service with the Bosniaks together to create a memorial that is still ongoing. We went to the mayor of Priodor yesterday. And we've done other things like that, we exchanged the schools, we set up a civic forum and all sorts of other things, and we worked in Kosovo. In a way, we've been around a bit, because I don't live here. People say, why don't you live here? I'm like yourself, you live here. And the answer to that is actually the work that we do does not require that type of continual presence. People have got to, they've got to have, try and find a job, they've got to get, have relationships, get married, bring up children, they've got a, an order, a life to lead. And when people like me suddenly arrive dealing with these very heavy subjects, there's a limit to what people can do. So the fact that we came and went was fine. It depends who you're talking to. And I think that on the whole, people like me who are intervening in trying to create civil society to make it more democratic, more humane, that can't really be done by outsiders. That has to be done locally within... What we can do is to encourage people to work. It's a rather f feeble answer, but I think, I think we, we were rather colonial when we started. There's a type of colonizing of the Bosnia by, the, by people and by the EU particularly. And I've always been very, and I've become very skeptical about that approach, and it was wrong. He did make some quite important mistakes at that point. For example, we would come here and talk about words like justice, forgiveness, and peace. Oh, come on, it's not uh, up to us to use it, it's up to the people to use those words when they want to. And I, in the early days here, 2000, those sorts of days, I was often on the media. That was a great mistake. Should have been the local people who were on the media. And we made far too much of the symbolic understanding of buildings. For example, the bridge at Mostar. Paddy Ashton will talk about this is going to be the great bridge between Muslims and Christianity and a great sign to Europe and the world. Actually, Mostar is the most divided city still. Two schools under one roof, etc., etc., in the whole of Bosnia. And I used, I got very rhetorical about the Fahadiyas. This is going to be a great symbol of Christian-Muslim cooperation. It's going to be this and it's going to be that and the other. And Mufti Chandich, who we shall see later on today, used to 
poke me in the ribs and say, okay, but where's my mosque? And I like that. So I think we have to be very careful about the symbolic stuff. All foreigners need to be careful. But it's interesting, when I was with uh, the new Mufti uh, last year, he said, will the soul of Europe now organize some programs on reconciliation and so on? So we will try and do something. But I think there's a limit. There's really a limit to what we can do. But I'm here. We continue to stay in the Balkans. People have said to me, why don't you go to Somalia and do some work there? To which I say, yeah, why don't you go? That's my general answer to people when they say that. It's because, because of the people. There are people here whose bags I would carry anywhere. I'm thinking of some of the nuns at Novotopola who had a terrible time and they were... The priest was murdered. They were all... Some of them were abused. They were taken to Croatia, and, and the, they then came back. I remember talking to the nuns, why have you come back here? She said, and the head nun said, because this is our home, and a place where there had been the most terrible uh, abuse and uh, wickedness of one sort or another. And there they are now, carrying on, they rebuilt the farm, they rebuilt the priest's house, and people go there. You carry their bags for that. And yesterday, we were with a good friend called Mersat, who is the, leads the little committee for a memorial at a Moscow, and he saw his family destroyed in front of him. And he is a wonderful man. He has great humanity, and he's very strong, and he's a real, he's a real hero. And indeed, Adnan, who's not here, who, we, who works for us, he's down at the faculty of them. I mean, he, he's a very brave man. I mean, he, the bravery and the courage of these people is, knows no end. So for them, for me, they are become our teachers. These are the people who teach us, and this is why we've stayed here, and this is why I will do whatever we can to help Bosnia become a more humane, more human, more democratic, etc. What is worrying people at the moment is are their jobs or the fact they haven't got any work, and what sort of future is for them. And I think this is the fundamental thing which is on top of everybody. Last year, something like 80,000 young people left Bosnia-Herzegovina, and there's a and it's the same in Kosovo. People, these differences and so on are second order questions. The first order is how the hell am I going to survive here? What sort of a future have I got for my kids? What sort of future will they have? So therefore the differences between them are, are very pale in significance in these very human questions. The other thing is, and actually a good deal of good deal of relationships carry on between younger people in particularly who are not bothered too much about uh, these differences. And last year when they had, 2014, when they had these citizens' assemblies started, what was marvellous about it was that it was not run on nationalistic grounds, it was done on grounds of wanting jobs and getting rid of corruption and trying to create a more democratic society in Bosnia. So I don't think it's a main, it's a, it's a real issue. So. It's not the question which, certainly it's not the question which engages, as a foreigner, my attention very much. A lot of speechifying and a lot of people sticking their chests out and being very grand and making lots of abstract statements about peace and order and harmony and hope and all the rest of it, which I don't go along with because it doesn't deal with the actual reality. On the other hand, I'm very pleased that we had a really small part in, and a crucial part in this uh, project which is now taking place. I was very moved when we drove down and I suddenly saw the minaret. That really stopped me in my track. Something we've done in this country has worked. Has worked. I've been a fellow of the Commonwealth Universities and we are trying to pass the parcel 
which means passing on what we've learned. We've already done that. We actually have a Dutchman here with us as a trainee diplomat. And so I will be doing more and more of that, helping people, and I think they should. I think the sort of work that we do, which requires endurance, a sense of humour, coping with dangerous situations, and an ability to raise money, and goodness knows what else, all the things you can imagine, and occasionally to be shameless and impertinent and direct. I have a habit, particularly with politicians who I meet, of being direct. I've got nothing to lose, have I? I'm, I'm an old man, so I can say exactly what I feel and what I think. I think there is a job to be done by, on the whole, older people. I'm not sure that a 20-year-old could do the work that I do. In fact, I've got grey hair and I'm a, I wear my dog collar. That's a good disguise, really. And people will, will, will listen to you until they twig who you are. And they think, my God, who's he? What's he doing? I've got something to say about, about younger generation, about children, and what sort of world, how they're going to grow up into. And that's where the new thinking has got to go, where oldies like me can help that new thinking happen. Something like that. Difficult, but I haven't really answered the question, but it's ordinary. Anyone, look here, any of you guys listening to me talking, what you should do is get in touch with me and then we can have a longer conversation. Donald Reeves talking to me back in 2016 about the rebuilding of the magnificent Fehadia Mosque here in Banyaluka. And any visitor to Banyaluka really should visit the mosque. The Islamic community are extremely friendly and would gladly show you around and explain the history of the mosque to you. That's it then from this sort of flashback edition of the podcast.